Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Our Shelves, a podcast where writers from the legendary feminist publishing house Virago talk about their cultural worlds. We'll be diving into these writers' bookshelves, record collections, and recollections to discover what inspires them. I'm Lucy Scholes, and my guest today is Megan Abbott, the award-winning author of 10 novels, including Give Me Your Hand, You Will Know Me, The Fever, Dare Me, and The End of Everything. She received her PhD in literature from New York University. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times Magazine, Guardian and The Believer. She is the co-creator and executive producer of USA's adaptation of Dare Me and was a staff writer on HBO's David Simon show, The Juice. Her latest novel, The Turnout, is set in a suburban ballet school that's run by two sisters, Dara and Marie, and Dara's husband, Charlie. As the school enters its busiest season, rehearsals for the annual production of The Nutcracker, the main roles in which are a matter of fierce competition, Marie begins an all-encompassing torrid affair with the contractor hired to renovate the studio, and this has dire and tragic consequences for all involved. Welcome to Our Shelves, Megan. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So the novelist Harriet Tice said that the turnout is so dark, it makes Black Swan look like a children's story, Megan. And I have to agree with this. It's such a sort of intense, pitch black psychological thriller. And I was on the edge of my seat throughout. Um, but I also was fascinated because it's another example of something that you do so well, which is you take a particular sort of hot house environment, usually in Involving girls or young women, and then explore these kind of dark, often violent dynamics wherein. And I really want to know, obviously, I mean, I can see the attraction for this, but what is it in particular that appeals to you? And why is this something that you come back to again and again with such kind of um, originality each time as well? Oh, thank you. I Yeah, it is sort of my, um, I guess it's for me, it's part of the writer process is I want to I'm curious about a world I don't know and I want to immerse myself in it and understand it and understand its lingo, its rules, its, um, you know, sort of all the sort of intricacies, um, whether it's ballet or gymnastics or a science lab or I did something I'm curious about that and have, I just want to, I guess I want to sort of peer into it. It's sort of the voyeur in me. Um, and then because it's a hot house, it's really sort of perfect for uh, a thriller or suspense tale. Mm-hmm. 
metaphors because everything is very heightened and because it does operate by its own rules and because they're female spaces it really lays bare a lot of the sort of um behind behind the mask of be, of femininity of of gender um so it sort of it opens up a lot of doors for me that i get to sort of peer into yeah because i'm thinking because oftentimes people describe your novels or they classify them as sort of crime fiction which they are to a certain degree but the more i read the more i always think that it seems to me that you are much more interested in sort of the threat of violence that seems to lurk in women's lives and also the sort of dark side of womanhood or femininity itself. Is that the thing that you're really trying to get at each time? I think so. I, you know, I grew up, I always have loved uh, true crime and, and mysteries that been a, and they are part of the animating force for me, but I, I've never been a traditional sort of mystery writer or even thriller mm-hmm. writer. And there's a puzzle and there are clues. I mean, to, um, I'm really more interested as a writer in, uh, people sort of being pushed to brinks and being against the wall and sort of showing themselves or revealing themselves. And uh, particularly with women with their sort of things they have to hide about themselves. Also their, their resilience. Um, I think a lot of women read true crime because it's tales of survival. Um, and I think that's really important for me too. I hadn't thought about that, but that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Of course, it is. They are sort stories of resilience a lot of the time, aren't they? Particularly with women battling against the odds and sort of coming out as survivors. Right. And and they're stories that honor women's fears, instincts of fear. Um, and so much of women's life is being careful about safety, about peril. It's so we're so used to it as women. We don't even think about it. But try explaining it to, to, to some of the some of the men in your life. God bless them. But I mean, they, they just don't live that, uh, you know, the, that same way. So I think true crime stories honor that that notion that women have to live so much of their lives um, on, on defense, um, mm-hmm. always being aware of their surroundings, what is a safe situation. Um, and so I think uh, true crime sort of respects that that um, that vigilance. Mm. And the thing is, you've really made this particular sort of avenue of psychological thriller, femininity, exploring these dark sides, your own. There's a wonderful line in Maggie Shipstead's recent review of the turnout in the New York Times where she says, Megan Abbott is a mood. And I just love that. <laughs> <laughs> it captured so perfectly what I think one should say about your work. Um, and are you very, I mean, do you find that you take your lead from sort of other writers in this genre or are you very much, do you very much feel that you're carving out a sort of a space of your own? As a sort of a lifelong book lover, I think that my influences are probably, you know, very, you know, Shirley Jackson, Angela Carter, mm. uh, you know, these are sort of big, Patricia Highsmith, these are sort of big figures for me. So I know they're all in there I, 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 in sort of some bubbling brew of, uh, of influence. But I think what, what most of the writers I've loved have in common and that I do try to um aspire to is sort of this heightened tone that um brings the reader to a specific place and keeps them there that there's a desire to transport um and to sort of the, that you know that it's all the all the details and uh intensity and feeling and it's not a way to sort of like opera or melodrama you kind of want to bring mm-hmm. everything 
a little pitch. Um, and in a thriller, you, you, you can get away with that and maintain it to a certain extent, but it's also part of the writing process for me is I want to get, get it all elevated and high, high up there. Uh, so, um, so that I can have fun. <laughs> so, so and I want it to be fun for the writer, for the reader too, rather. So, uh, um, I want to be in it together with them, I guess. So I'm trying to sort of create that space. It's lovely, the idea of the sort of collaborative process. I really like that. Um, and can I just go back just briefly to something you were saying just now about the, the way that sort of exploring the darker side of, you know, sort of um, female uh, living in the world as a woman, let's say, kind of that dark side. I just suddenly made me think, I remember a while ago listening to, I can't remember if it was a podcast or whether it was a written interview, but you were talking about working on the juice in the writer's room. And there was a particular instance where you talked about the scene in the show with some women, for example, and there were some of the male writers who tried to write a scene for that. And then you and maybe some of the other female writers, I can't remember if there were any other ones, had sort of said, no, this is what women would talk about if men weren't there. And you said that was such an important thing to kind of add to the show um and i wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that and and, and how important that this is that that women are writing women's stories even if it is you know ultimately quite throwaway instances you know these are not this wasn't maybe a big turning point in the show was it, it was a discussion over breakfast i think between some women yes it was um and it, and it was really the reason it, lisa lutz um uh was the other female writer in the room at that time um and it was a small room so it was uh but we yeah we were brought in there for that reason um and it, you know, th that we needed, they needed these female voices. Um, and um, it was set in the world, the show was set in the world of prostitution and, and pornography. So it was sort of doubly important to us, mm -hmm. but it was sort of the things that women talk about typically, or at least in that it was set in the seventies when men are not around. So sort of uh, the thing that you would, you know, it's so universal, the male experience, especially the sort of straight white male experience is one that we all understand so deeply. It's inbred in us for so so young, but this, the, um, for some reason, sort of a basic conversation that women would have when men aren't around about their, about their period while mm. they're, turning tricks uh, seems seems so obvious that they would talk about this um and uh and it of course would not have been likely to cross the male writer's mind but they were so happy to uh, <laughs> to include it um because you know as a writer what you always want are those you know the the real sort of whoop and wharf of life you know it's mm -hmm. that sort of feeling and the, the the female life has just been so um under you know, underexplored um, in a sort of official culture scale uh, for so long. Obviously, that's all changing. It has been changing for some time, but it's amazing how deep those 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 quarters run. You know, you have a woman at this, the main character on your show. It's a show about women. Whereas no one ever says it's a show about a man when it's yeah. uh, uh, or masculinity when uh, there's just a man at the center. So we do. There is this default cultural narrative that's really hard to overthrow. Hmm. I mean, even the fact that I'm asking you about this particular conversation shows how strange it is in a sense that, that you have to step out of the, 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 the sort of standard writing process and think, oh, what is it like to be a woman in this situation with other women and to write from that point of view? It's a sort of strange, must have been a strange experience, but, you know, surely one that was very, um, I don't know, very rewarding to be a part of. 
Yes, definitely. And in the end, it's sort of the good idea um, wins and you you, ha- um, you have to, um, but there is sort of, I also feel that way writing about women in crime fiction, you know, it's sort of historically, especially in the U.S., has been most dominated by male figures for so long and particularly no focus on teenage girls. So when I started writing, I wrote my first book of like a thriller set with teenage girls. It was amazing how everyone, there was a sort of sense of this was so original and strange. And, uh, but, <laughs> and it's not, of course, uh, they, they occupy a huge amount of the population. And we, we as women were teenage girls, but somehow it felt, um, weirdly specific rather than representative uh, of the experience of many, many people. <laughs> yeah, of course. But also, I think um, even today, you know, teenage girls is now, a sort of, it, this is sort of hot topic now when you think about crime, when you think about psychological thrillers, you were clearly sort of spearheading the way for things to follow when you were one of the first people who started realizing that this was a particular, you know, period in a woman's life that could be mined for all this potential, right? Right. Yes. No, it's 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 wild to ponder now. It is sort of still so hard to shake off these stereotypes that have sort of there's still a discomfort around young women um, Mm. and how to reckon with them. And it becomes a sort of mean girls and uh, uh, which, you know, I love mean girls, but that's become a way of dealing with young women who assert themselves or Mm. speak or um, so it's you know even when it's become more at the center it's still really problematic and to keep running running a check on all that which is one of the things I think it's exciting about the last few years is all all these things are changing and all these voices are, are finally being heard which is which is a good thing. Mm. Do you keep fairly up to date are you quite good at reading a lot of the new stuff that's coming out in this area or do you try and keep yourself a bit hold off when you're writing yourself? I I do I read a lot of crime fiction, but I do when I'm deep in a book writing a book. I do I do stick to nonfiction. I I really steer away, or like really very different literary fiction. I it can, it can get in your head and news matters. So I I do try to when I'm really deep into it, I sort of shutter that off, and you know will instead read a, a a biography of Tennessee Williams or something to sort of uh, move myself out of there. And like a sort of palate cleanser. Not so it doesn't sort of seep into your own. I like that. It's quite nice to have different piles of books for different occasions that you can, you know, different parts of your brain, I suppose, are activated by different yeah. things as well. Quite useful. That's right. That's exactly what it is. It sort of calls different different uh, aspects, and it, and it's not going to be this contagion element with it, that a strong voicey. Uh, yeah thriller for instance might yeah no I've heard other writers say that as well that you've got to kind of steer clear of things that might start to seep into your unconscious even if you don't recognize it at least strong voices and something similar um well I mean we're already vaguely talking around um some books that you like reading so let's jump into the first question can you tell me about two books that are currently on your bedside table please Megan Yes, yes. I, and I just finished um, uh, one of them and nearly finished the other. But there's two that I have been completely, and this is a classic case, one is nonfiction and one is a novel. I keep going back and forth between them um, also. But the uh, non these are both forthcoming books, just to sort of 
to get them on people's radar because they're both so wonderful. But the first is Sarah Weinman's Scoundrel, mm. which is a nonfiction book. And her, some people might know her last book, which was called The Real Lolita. And it was about the real uh, life um, abduction story that, that inspired uh, Nabokov's novel. And it really sort of changed in many ways the way we see that novel and the way we see these stories. And it was a wonderful book. But Scoundrel is a similarly very sophisticated take on a kind of true crime. Um, um, but this, in this case, it's this um, uh, man named Edgar Smith in the 1950s was accused of murdering this teenage girl. And through a, and it, it became, um, you know, a sort of, he was on death row and he was trying to appeal his case and somehow came into the, came into involvement with William F. Buckley, uh, sort of very famous conservative in America, pundit and, and, uh, um, founder of the National Review, which is a sort of a, a big conservative publication here for decades. He was a big figure in the um, in the political literati of the era, often on talk shows, and um, and he, big, he championed this uh, this man's this convicted killer's case. He believed him to be innocent, um, and uh, and I'm not going to say too much more because things get really complicated, <laughs> and, but it's juicy and fascinating, and uh, and it becomes about so many of the women involved. He ended up writing the, the accused killer ended up writing uh, a book and had this um, editor named Sophie Wilkins, this female editor who became a big force in his life. And it and also the, the um the victims in this case are it's a very female forward telling of a tale mm-hmm. that has been told in an entirely different way about two men um, mm-hmm. um and uh their complicated relationship but it's very much about these women too and it's it's fascinating um and and yeah highly recommend that comes out i believe uh i believe the same in the uk i believe it's february um um, and the other one is um, Lisa Lutz, my, my fellow writer on the Jews, has a new thriller coming out in February here called The Accomplice. And she writes these crime novels that are um, darkly funny. They're not violent. They're so voicey. She has a very deadpan, rich wonderful uh voice and this is the story of two friend uh college friends uh, one is a man and one is a woman very close friends um and there's a crime that occurs and and then we move forward 15 years later and another crime occurs but they share some secrets between the two of them reminds me a little of secret history but it is very much about these intense friendships that we develop in college and um and in this case, I found it particularly fascinating. First of all, I loved the the friends at the center of it. Um, they're two wonderful characters, and uh, uh, Owen and Luna. And the other thing is, I'd never seen male female friendships are so rarely in novels. And they're certainly in crime novels almost non-existent. Where it, it, the sort of the things that are similar and the things that are different in in um, male female friendships versus male, male, or female, female, or any of these variations, um, and the sort of intricacies and complexities of it. Um, and it, I always think her, her voice is a little bit like Salinger's glass, the glass stories. It's, it's like that 
very funny and deadpan, but like very emotional. Like there's a lot of banked emotion behind it and it's just wonderful. And I think if you like, um, if you, if you like thrillers, you'll like it, but also if you don't, if you like novels, because it's, it's, it's not dark, it's not obsessed with crime. It really is about relationships and, um, friendship and, um, trauma to a certain extent, but at a distance, it's great. Um, so yeah, they've, they've been, they've been, they've been studying me well through, uh, the last week or two they sound wonderful they're definitely going to go on my to read list um straight away be ordering them before they're before they're out i like what you said about um uh, sarah wyman's book being particularly kind of sophisticated true crime can i just push you on that a little bit like what because i feel like true crime is a genre which is so popular these days and it encompasses so many different things and i think i mean in my own head i think i can imagine sort of from my own reading what I think of as a more sophisticated end of it but but can you explain a little bit what do you mean by yeah, that yeah yeah and, and by the way that I read all kinds of true crime yeah. I it to be sophisticated <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't merit it that's not the story they're telling and it can be uh, but the, but she yeah, no judgment don't worry this is not this, I did yeah yeah this is only specifically for this book that there's a difference that, that, that Sarah's concerned with these uh, uh, full disclosure I know her as well but I know her because of true crime we are both um, sort of obsessive followers of it uh, um, and she she's interested in these larger ideas so it is about the idea foremost um and in this case the sort of relationship between the the accused killer and um this sort of force in the culture mm-hmm. um is 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 what she's very she's very concerned with and in both the her books very much about um women and violence and how these stories have been told in the past and how they're told now so it's it sort of actively and openly explores those ideas mm-hmm. um so it adds this whole other um, layer to it. It's it's about these moments in history too, when these sort of biases and and our sort of the way our notion of how um, crimes against sort of sexualized crimes against women, how we used to view those those crimes and report them and consider criminal behavior uh, has changed so much um, in the last few decades. Um, And the way we think of, um, talk about, we talk about victims and, um, and, and the way we think about um, criminality has changed so much. So Mm -hmm. I think one of the things she's doing is she's constantly telescoping back, you know, back and forth in time to sort of give us that that distance and and view these things through um a more complicated uh set of lenses that sounds really fascinating have you ever been tempted to write any true crime yourself boy i would love to i people do ask me that uh i would love to my my big problem there is um i (laughs) i'm really shy and i can't imagine doing these calls I always say, like I said to Sarah, like, how can you call these people this sort of intimate details of their lives or like, you know, I'm just not the kind of person. It was one of the reasons I, I sort of, I had a semester in journalism in college and, and I immediately switched to literature because I didn't want to have to call someone and ask them questions that they might not want to answer. So, um, so, so it would have to be where everyone was dead. Like I have to be a 19th century crime where I can guarantee that I wouldn't have to speak to a person. <laughs> 
that's the, I think that's the best answer you could have given to that question. Excellent. But you're maybe you're right. Some kind of historical, you know, there's a whole line of historical true crime that people do love reading. And perhaps one could find an excellent story to kind of reassess. That would be then you'd have to just be in library archives and no one would talk right. to you. So. That's my speed. <laughs> <laughs> be much better. <laughs> I'll shall be back in just a moment. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to Our Shelves. I'm Lucy Scholes. I'm talking to Megan Abbott about uh, the fact she's never written true crime because she's too shy to ask people the uh, the most probing questions that you need to. <laughs> <laughs> about them and write about them apparently but not to actually ask the question (laughs) (laughs) oh dear well next up Megan uh, I think you're going to tell us about a recent movie that's made you think yes a very recent movie and it's still it's on demand streaming on demand if it's not in your local theater anymore Uh, but it's the movie Zola um, that came out in the U.S. in July Um, um, it's directed by uh, Janiska Bravo uh, who's a um, a wonderful director, and this—I don't know if people even remember—in our in the way our social media works now. This was just a few years ago. It was a—it's based on a viral Twitter thread. I can't even believe I'm saying that sentence, but um, and it was a big deal at the time. It was earlier days in Twitter, and it was a young woman in Detroit, uh, a waitress at Hooters, uh, an occasional exotic dancer who um, met um, um, a woman uh, who uh, they became fast friends and the woman invited her on a on a trip to uh go down to florida from detroit and and make some money dancing and it turns into this rather harrowing sort of like alice in wonder like a dark alice in wonderland tale where things go terribly wrong and on twitter it was in part this sort of vivid storytelling of the women who went on this adventure and uh her voice was so um delightful and bloody and strong and fascinating and the tale got more and more sort of baroque and almost impossible and um and so they made a movie uh based on the story and it's wonderful it's sort of candy colored um it reminded me a little of spring breakers and that is another sort i was of gonna ask if that was because I, I haven't seen it yet myself but i was watching the trailer and thinking this has got a very sort of spring breakers feel to it right yes, yes. and it gets laid over with sort of this fascinating and i think well uh well-defined sort of racial politics of it because mm. the 
woman who young woman who wrote the Twitter thread, Zola, um, is African American, and the young woman who sort of recruits her for this trip is is a, a white woman who's sort of adopt uh, sort of adopted the parlance and um, is very much in some ways uh, to the point that it becomes offensive. That envisions herself as it is though she were black and ways that the movie sort of saw it. it's it's not heavy-handed but it's there there's a there's a race race element that isn't in spring breakers but um but what some of the choices uh originally was supposed to be directed i think by james franco and and and, okay. and wisely they shifted to um a black female director that's very voicey and and she it is a movie that ultimately is is in many ways quite sexually explicit about uh, about sex work but there is not a naked woman in the movie, despite the fact that they're also exotic dancers, but there is so much male nudity. I've never seen <laughs> it. And, I, and not in a titillating way, but it's it's like she's doing all this stuff. In other words, she's flipping all these scripts about the way you're supposed to tell this story, what you're supposed to see, mm-hmm. what the gaze of the camera is going to be on. And this is very much a story about two women told by a woman and written by a, a woman. And uh, so the director co-wrote it with Jeremy O'Harris, who wrote the slave play, which which was um, been a very big deal here. And it's just, it's sort of pop. It's sort of pops every line. It's sort of witty and dark and body and, and fun and harrowing and it's 90 minutes. And it's just like a perfect little dark confection. So it's, I highly recommend it. You've completely sold it to me. The trailer looks good anyway. And now I'm definitely going to go and watch it. But is this, maybe this is a, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but is this the first film that's been made off a Twitter thread, off a viral Twitter thread? Do we know? I think so. I, I, think I couldn't it, think of any others. I was trying, I mean, not maybe there's, but I'm sure there's plenty I don't know about, but I couldn't think of any obvious ones. Right? I, I think so. And I, I do think it's sort of that uh, era of Twitter that doesn't, couldn't exist in that same way before. There was something about it, Twitter in its earlier days where everyone could, that, some, that, that it was small enough a world that everyone could suddenly find themselves following in uh, this Twitter thread and not sort of it getting over overlaid with people fact checking and like but everything now is sort of people will go I don't see any story you know there's a lot of there was something about the innocence of early Twitter um, I don't know if it would work now in the same way yeah this is harking back to the sort of halcyon idyllic days before people started <laughs> jumping on everything on Twitter where you could have these wild viral stories about going yeah. down to Florida <laughs> and people just went along with it for the ride yeah, right exactly exactly everyone was along for the ride and no one was sort of imagining imagining catfishing and hoaxes and all this uh, stuff. Uh, it's amazing that something that happened four or five years ago can feel exactly as you say, halcyon. <laughs> I was going to say, this is going to, I'm going to watch the film and it's going to make me nostalgic for the good old days of Twitter, yeah. right? As much as anything else. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, that's brilliant. For something slightly different then, tell me about a book that has made you think about feminism in a new way, please. Yes, this is a, one of my favorite novels, but it's a bit on my mind lately because there is a new film adaptation. It's Nella Larson's 19, I think it was 1929 novel, Passing, which um, is this slender little volume. I read it when I took in graduate school, a class on the Harlem Renaissance, and that was the first time I read it. But um, it completely obsessed me. I've taught it. I've read it countless times. It's the story of, um, of 
two women, uh, Claire and Irene, um, who were knew each other as children and uh, and now meet again as adults, and they have sort of taken uh, different paths. And that um, Claire has chosen to sort of cross the color line as the, in the parlance of the era and pass as white and marry a white man. And and Irene, who is our narrator um, of sorts, um, uh, does not and. It's very much about race and whiteness, and uh, but it's also about so many other things about desire. I mean, the, there's men, passing takes on many, um, many meanings and valences as the story. This sort of very brief, haunting story about this not even friendship because they're never really friends. The relationship between these two women. Um, it's about it's about class or race. It's about desire. It's about obviously about gender. And it's just about all of these things at once, but you, none of those things are ever, it's so, it, it seems so effortless because it all just comes to the fore. And the more you read it, the more you uncover mysteries in it. It feels like it's almost like smoke disappearing into the rafters. Each time you finish it, you think you've got your a handle on it and then it just sort of disappears again. So um, um, you, you're a fan of it as well. Yes, I love it. I haven't read it for a few years, but you're sort of making me want to. I was thinking I should go back to it before seeing the new film. You can read it in an afternoon and it, it feels like it could be written today too. It feels very relevant. To, mm. to Yeah, I think when I saw that they were first making the film, I was sort of A, surprised that it hadn't been made into a film already because it's such a, a kind of clever, haunting book, like you say. But at the same time, exactly like you, I had some reservations and thinking, could you quite capture that, the unreliability of it? Could you capture the fear, the, the, the sort of true weird intensity of their relationship which like you say is not so much a friendship but more they're sort of bound together by the secret they both sort of you know by the fact that they know things about each other which other people don't know right so it's a very intense um setup so I'm quite pleased to hear you say that you think Hall has done a good job of it yes I think it it's obviously very personal to her and mm. she you know, and I think one of the reasons it hasn't been made is that um, there's just not many movies made about two women um, at the center that is just about those two women. And so I think there's something so wonderful about uh, um, that it did get made and it'll draw more attention to the book, which um, is, I mean, it feels like that for a long time was one of those sort of secret things where so few people had read it, but yeah. it's growing. I've noticed the last few years, I think it's sort of, um, it's it's sort of increasingly sort of come to the fore. And I think that maybe this movie will help with that further. The sort of slightly tangential question. Can I ask that because of your own work um, in terms of the adaptation you did of Dare Me, working on The Juice, for example, when you watch films now or kind of TV shows and there are adaptations, are you sort of thinking like, oh, that's really cleverly done. That's a kind of way. Does it does it help you sort of open your own mind to various things that you could do in the future? Yes. I mean, it's really annoying to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it hard for me to watch it without without thinking about that and the choices they're making and I often think about like who the best adapters are you know the Cohen brothers 
to, to have done some wonderful adaptation or John Houston, I guess, is sort of the best example mm-hmm. who adapted, you know, Dashiell Hammett and, you know, he's sort of uh, um, a, a Melville, like an array of writers, but it's a very difficult thing of uh, killing your darlings and turning everything visual. So when I see it done well, of course, I want to figure out how they did it because there's so many ways it can go wrong. We've all seen those where it just all the life is taken out of it it's too Mm. faithful it's too literal it's sort of stuffy and airless and so I think yeah I'm always always looking for tricks (laughs) it's so fascinating because I mean I have no experience in it myself but even just watching it there doesn't seem to be a kind of blueprint that works for everything right like some of my favorite films that are adaptations work because they've really um, cleaved so closely to the original text and kind of kept it very true and then others have really gone off on sort of you know quite wild angles that you don't think are in there but it, it stays so true to what you would describe as perhaps the essence of the work in question so it seems like there's no way of definitely knowing until you go into it I think that's right and I, I think so I think it so much of it depends on the if there's a visual storytelling way to get it so you know sometimes there, I mean there, one of my favorite adaptations is Age of Innocence Scorsese's adaptation of Wharton. That's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful, and it shouldn't work because it just takes huge sections of the novel and voiceover. But actually, that's exactly what that book needs because um it's so much about the codes it is an anthropology the hot house world and and that's such a part of it um but but and the, but then also makes use of the visual splendor to convey the sort of uh um, wealth um of that world and uh rarefied environment but it is but you could you wouldn't want to apply that that technique to other adaptations you wouldn't want them to just plot pull passages of uh of you know i mean melville yeah <laughs> yeah into it maybe you would i don't know <laughs> well you know it has been that yeah maybe but you have to see it the proof is always in the pudding i think with these that's things right. isn't it that's but you're so right that's a beautiful film and it does yeah voiceover so often does kill things but actually it really works in its favor there and you're right on paper you would be very or i would be very dubious of it right yes yeah, completely. Well, the sort of slightly related, I think, is the um, the woman that you're going to tell me about for our final question today, when I ask you about a woman or a person of an unrepresented gender whom you admire. Who have you chosen, Megan? Yes, I've chosen Michaela Cole, which is a, I know relatively recent and very young person. No, this is good. Yeah, so the creator, writer, showrunner of I May Destroy You, um, and before that, which I haven't seen, which I, I know is a big show in the UK, right? Chewing Gum, is that Yeah, the- it's very yeah. funny. It's quite it's quite different to I May Destroy You, but it's, I mean, I yeah, definitely watch it if you get the chance. It's great yeah, fun. I want to, because I want to see, I mean, the sort of, it's just, for, for those who haven't seen it, just the most wildly ambitious show I think I've seen on television um, in terms of, it's about a young woman, or a writer, you know, sort of in some ways seemingly based on on Cole, uh, um, who um, experienced, it, I mean, it's sort of hard to summarize. It, it, she experiences a sexual assault. It's not a spoiler. It's the first episode. But, but it's about that and so much more and the way it's about that is not in the ways that you think um it's um the, the it is so wildly inventive and moving and so much about identity and being a young person and being a young woman and being a young woman of color um and being a creative person and uh um you know sort of 
being able to um experience danger with without um without sort of the sort of old fairy tale consequences that you will be punished for that. It sort of unravels sort of all these cultural narratives about crime too, about um the notion of um of surviving a violent crime. Um it, it's it's gorgeous to look at. It's sort of mesmerizing. It's also very much about um created families, families of friends, and the, the friendship of the three at the center, I found so, so moving. And, and the, the two, her two close friends in it, their stories are, every, the whole thing obviously just, just completely blew me away. And I couldn't even believe it was on television because it was so good. And this, I, I love television, but it just felt like, uh, it felt like a radical act. And, uh, um, and I, I just found it so inspiring and exhilarating and uh, just, just made me sort of the, the possibilities for what she can do next seemed endless. And that, that's just so exciting. I love that. I think that's probably the best review I've heard of it. So good. I couldn't believe it was on television. <laughs> too good for anything <laughs> and things are you know it just feels like this never would have happened at any other moment in tv yeah. that, that that a you know a young a young woman of color would get her own show get to, to write it show run it to direct episodes of it make it completely her own thing mm-hmm. without it feels like sacrificing anything for the medium for the business for the commercial aspect it just felt like one of those this is this is the pure thing and we're getting it through a major platform to speak in the parlance of the business um and and everyone was watching it it felt like um and uh that is a beautiful thing yeah no it's a brilliant show and it really and you're right I think so many people it sort of snowballed once it was on people started watching it recommending it to other people and so everyone has watched it but I think and for me I think one of the things that did so well which I hadn't seen is it sort of made me rethink what you can even do in terms of your central character's sort of subjectivity like how you put that on the screen as well it it sort of blew my mind in so many ways but I think it's probably opened the door or I'd imagined for a lot of creative people watching it it's kind of made them think that they can really rewrite the rule book themselves in terms of what they want to do themselves you know in their own work right that's right because it kind of skips over goes beyond refuses to answer the sort of classic questions you get in tv which is is this person likable yeah um, which is like it does i mean it doesn't say i don't care it doesn't even consider that question until it just shatters that that as an issue entirely and skips over that into this organic and authentic thing that this sort of i and that yeah and that i think is exactly i think you're exactly right that's that's true subjectivity too mm-hmm refusing to sort of go through these sort of obstacles that have been imposed by patriarchy let's be honest uh, and capitalism uh, but we know that and they, they are a little connected here especially um but uh it i it's one of the most exciting things i think about um young talents so sort of millennial and z because they they just refuse to i mean we've we've sort of shattered the world for them <laughs> we've destroyed the environment and all these things so they have uh they're just not buying any of it they're mm-hmm. not accepting it they're rewriting all of this um um they're not even rewriting it they're writing their own and they're stamping it and it, it just made me feel good about the future at a time especially watching it in 2020 when the future seemed a, a little um hard to um 
see at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that is the perfect place to end it on a very hopeful note for the future with these brilliant young creatives like Michaela Cole. Thank you so much, Megan. This has been a real pleasure chatting to you today. There have been some wonderful recommendations here. I'm sure our listeners will be um, will yeah, be ordering those books and watching those films immediately. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. What could be more fun than to evangelize for the, the books and um, stories we love? Thank you, everyone, for listening. Our Shells is brought to you by the team at Virago Press. Special thanks to today's guest, Megan Abbott. And tune in next time for more conversation about books, feminism and culture. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.